Uncontrolled Airspace Information Alpha, 1353 Zulu. The members and guests of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Inform controller on initial contact that you have information alpha. Man, I, I saw some bonanza deals today on trade yeah, plane. Yeah. What'd you see? Tell us. Well, I got that. Go ahead. Uh, and a and a, a Comanche one eighty for twenty seventh grand. Uh huh. Oh my god. Uh, out of out of annual and high time on the engine, but uh-huh. IFR platform. Uh huh. Twenty seven. Well, I, I got. I saw a couple of uh, of uh, G and. H model bonanzas uh-huh. uh, in the high 40s to not yet 60 yeah. with extraordinary panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God, where's the market gone? It's like, and yeah. I can't take advantage of it. It's killing me. Yeah. Oh, what I, year I, were they? We get, um, we get the blue book at the office. Um, and uh, the most recent one I picked up, and, and I was shocked mm-hmm. at what. Uh, uh, my airplane is worth now. It's it's come down thirty percent. Really, the last two or three years. Wow, wow. I came across a Cherokee one forty, same model year, same equipment as the one that I bought to get my pilot's license in ninety five. Mm-hmm. A thousand bucks less than what I paid in ninety five. Yeah, this Jeez. puppy was going for seventeen thousand. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. And about, about in the same hours range, too. Well, I was having a conversation with a coworker. It's been a couple of months ago now. She was talking about, um, you know, driving over to Miami for um, um, the weekend or something like that. And, or maybe it was just an, even an overnight for dinner or something, you know. And, and I was like, well, you know, if you had an airplane, which <laughs> not coincidentally uh, would be about the the uh, value of that used SUV you're driving. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You could get there in an hour and 15 and, and you couldn't drink, but you know, you shouldn't be drinking and driving anyway. On and the other you'd, hand, you'd be home before sundown. So on the other hand, you could drink, stay the night and yeah. be back so early be the back. next morning and have time to, to go to work. Exactly right. Exactly right. And then we started talking about, you know, well, and, you know, Miami's one thing, but, you know, how about Key West? And oh, she's yeah. like, oh, yes, yeah, it'd be like six or seven hours to get to Key West. And I said, hour 15. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned this right. a couple episodes ago. Did you go to Key West? I haven't been to Key West lately. Yeah. No. Okay. Um, well, and, you know. We were there was 99. And, and you I, know, if your airplane. Any time. If your airplane was also a car. You, oh, no, never mind. I, no, don't want to no, do that. No, no, that's, no, Jack, Jack. That's, yeah. that's why they invented Hertz. That's right, yeah. That's right. As, somebody, as someone who owns an airplane but has no car, uh, you know, there's no comparison about the utility 
that you get out of an airplane. You know, that's interesting. Manage. I never thought of that. But being a New Yorker, of course, that stands to reason. You, so you'd have no car. You don't even. Do you have like some sort of airport car down in Florida? Or in Florida, I do. Oh, okay. In Florida, I do. And I used to have one in New York when I had a parking lot on the next corner. But now it's a, a large building, and it would. I'd have to park blocks away for hundreds of dollars a month, and then just to go to you know to get the car to bring it back to load it up. It, it doesn't make sense. But your airport is way over on the other side of the river in New Jersey. How do yeah, you, how do you that, get to the it's airport? It's a hassle. Yeah. It's always a challenge. There was a rental car company that had a location both right by the entrance of the Lincoln Tunnel and at the airport. And they would let me ferry cars and trucks for oh, them. Oh, really? Oh, so, yeah, so if I was going out there, I'd take a big truck for them. And if I was coming back and they needed something in the city, they would let me you know, take it in for them, but they didn't get their lease renewed at Caldwell, so now they're located a couple of miles at least away, and I can't do that anymore, so it's a car service. Sometimes I go by bus if I'm not going on a long trip so I don't have a whole lot of luggage, but uh, often it will be by car service. Mm -hmm. What's a car service cost to get out there? It can be close to $100 away. Each way. Ouch! Wait, if I went by car service, yeah, you're talking, you know, eighty-five bucks. Jeez, eighty-five bucks. I took an eighty-seven dollar cab ride the other day. I thought that was exciting. So. Um. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting there. Get, yes, stop at ninety, would you? <laughs> well, it, it makes walk, me walk the rest of the way. It certainly makes me appreciate the setup I do have in Florida, where, by the way, I just got a upgraded to a newer hangar, not oh, cool. the old kind of falling down thing with the manual doors. You have to fold in on themselves to open. It's got electric bifold doors. It's bigger. You, you said this was coming when uh, yeah. the last time you were on. Yeah. So, so uh, some friends anyway? actually. What's that? Said, who are you again? Oh, never mind. <laughs> we'll learn later. The mystery yes. boys. We we know who you are. We'll find out. So yeah. you're. <laughs> so, yeah, come on. This, this is James. Everybody knows James. So James, yeah. that's is that it's it's Saint Augustine, right? Correct. Sierra Gulf Juliet. And is it called Saint Saint Augustine? I'm not sure if you've ever told us anything about this. What's that airport like? It's great. We have uh, an eight thousand foot primary runway. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, two crosswind r- runways. One's only about 2,600 feet. The other uh, close to 3,000 maybe. Uh, of course, a lot of aerobatic activity. Jim Mosier started an aerobatic school down there, and now we have extra aircraft. The U.S. Uh, headquarters is there. That's where the, the pieces come in that they assemble to make the 300s. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, all sorts of... Uh, Frequently, well, Grumman is on the field, so we'll have military activity because they're re-engining aircraft there and doing upgrades to Hawkeyes. Uh, I told you guys at one point about the – we saw a bunch of V-22s were there for a while doing pattern work. Uh, Of course, we have any number of notable uh, aviation personalities taking advantage of the great airport and the environment. Uh, Patty Wagstaff, Dale Snodgrass – uh, a wonderful uh, airport association, and uh, it's going to be expanding. They're expanding to the south. Uh, a neighborhood essentially has been taken over, and people have been, over the last few years, moved out, and they are going to be expanding hangar space there. Mm-hmm. We did have, very briefly, commercial service with Skybus, mm-hmm. and they were doing well with the route to St. Augustine, and 
uh, which just hooked up, I think, with Columbus, Ohio. That was their their portal hub. But uh, they went belly up, and unfortunately, we lost our airline service as a result. Well, I mean, it doesn't bother me that much, but right. it was nice for people who wanted to get there directly. Yeah. Now, not to put a negative spin on what a delightful story, but what's security like at the airport? We have fences uh, surrounding the airport. Entrance is governed by security badges, so you wave your security badge. And what does it and take to get a badge? Uh, I don't know exactly, but if you have a hanger, for example, you get a badge. Yeah. The reason I ask is I was snooping yeah. around uh, on the web uh, reading about some of the airports down around Greater Boston, which I'm really not all that mm-hmm. familiar with, and one of them is Hanscom. Did you ever actually fly into Hanscom, Bedford, um, when you were up in, you were in the area? No, you were, you were in Lawrence. Bedford. Yeah, I, I've flown into Bedford. I, I was I was shocked to discover that um, not only do you need an ID badge at at Hanscom, which AKA Bedford, um, mm-hmm. but it costs seventy five dollars to get the badge. And, what? And you have to have one of these badges to do anything. Like to do a demo flight, you need one of these ID badges. You cannot walk onto the field without one of these badges, according to the website. Now, maybe there's. I think that's terrible. Yeah, I've I mean, talk thing. about putting a barrier in the way of people getting involved with aviation. It was shocking that's, to me. And uh, what if you landed there as a transit? Well, I don't know, and I was curious about that myself. I don't know the answer to that, and uh, I'm going to find out one of these days. But, uh, but according to the website, you need one of these seventy-five dollar badges to do anything at Hanscom. That's right. Massachusetts well, after after nine eleven. Massachusetts was one of the low one of the political subdivisions for lack of a better term that they kind of went a little nutso yeah i mean to the extent there's any justification there is a military base it's uh, the far side of the field is a some sort of i don't know if it's air national guard or but it's some sort of branch of the military so i mean there is that going on there but nevertheless well, wait a second so there's a military base so in other words somebody who's intent on doing some damage to a military base is going to be dissuaded by 75 dollars is right. that yeah right <laughs> yeah don't tell me i know but i, I was shocked and i hey, you know and know, i would hey, Budgets are budgets. I, I believe we, I believe we have a couple of listeners, or at least one, I think, um, who flies out of Hanscom. I would love to hear from that listener about what the real story is down there, and eventually I'll get around to figuring out myself. But, uh, but of course, as pilots, the majority of the time we show up from the inside of an airport, and you know they're not going to say, "Wait, you can't come into the FBO lounge." And, you know, having left, you can't go back well, out to your airplane if right, you don't have a right. badge. Yeah. A few but, years ago, I had to fly from uh, Wichita. Uh, I had a meeting that required personal presence out in uh, uh, Indianapolis. Uh, big air carrier airport, had the post office, postal services operations there, which had been contracted out to a private carrier. Uh, flew into one of the FBOs there. There were multiple. And in getting parked on the ramp, walk in, there was actually a catch cage to get from the ramp oh, into yeah. the FBO. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. you went in one door, and yeah. you smiled and waved at the camera and said who you were and what airplane you were with, and then they buzzed you into the FBO and issued you a little uh, temporary pass. Uh-huh that you were supposed to keep with you while you were there. Now, I was only going to be there a few hours that day. Uh, but if any, I'd been there for anything up to several days, that temporary pass would have been as much as they'd done. 
if I was going to be there longer, there was going to be something more involved that had to be done, particularly mm-hmm. if I was going to be coming in and out with any frequency. Mm. So, yeah, so I was wondering, James, if that the, 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 the military presence that you described might have been secure. It, it's, it's not the military presence. No. The military secures itself. It's the it's the pinheads running the civilian side, and um, I don't know about St. Augustine. I would guess that St. Augustine, um, because they used to have an air carrier operation, a 121, a scheduled operation, I should say, um, that they were run out of Jacksonville by the by the um, um, the airport security, the DHS TSA guy running uh, Jacksonville. And we have our own. It was, you have your own airport to security Airport Authority, guard? the St. Augustine, St. John's County. No, 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 no. I'm, t- I'm talking Authority. about I'm talking about security. Oh, okay. Um, uh, specifically, and the, the way TSA DHS had it all organized is each major um, um, air carrier airport had a um, security director, um, and then some of those security directors uh, would also be responsible for outlying airports. But we uh, had the badges there before uh, the carrier. The carrier was only there for like a three months of service. Yeah. But yeah. I will say Caldwell Airport, we got no defense installation there, and, and it, they have gone to a bad system there as well for entrance. No, it's not the defense installation. Yeah, okay. I, t- I stand corrected. It's uh, it's life in the big city. Um, so, so St. Augustine, sounds like a cool airport to visit. Is there a restaurant there, on the yeah. field? There is there is the uh, the Skylight Diner I think is the name. It's gone through a few different iterations. Uh-huh. Uh, so it up on the second story. It overlooks the airport. So you and the airport is right on the coast there on the intercoastal. So beautiful marshlands beyond. Always a lot of activity. We have uh, an a aerobatic box directly off uh, the departure end of one of the crosswind runways. So there can be aerobatic activity going on uh, that you can be watching. And and, uh, with extra being on the field, they're often doing demo flights and students are practicing. So there's a lot to watch that way. As I mentioned, we have military activity going on uh, and an awful lot of of jets coming in there, fractional business jets and such. Uh, it's a That's pretty cool. popular spot. For Are there that. any EAA chapters of any sort based at the field? Do you uh, know? I don't know. I know we have the St. Augustine Pilots Association that has a uh, uh, last. Uh, excuse me. I think it's the first Friday of every month. There is a uh, a party in the evening mm-hmm. and a fun-loving crew, and we have a little Quonset Hut Association building there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a great spot. Sounds great. Like and very close to, to town. Me. Yeah, very close to town. So uh, it's, it's a wonderful airport. That's and great. We, it didn't used to have a tower at all. And the first few times I came in, and you had all this traffic. And when there is uh, the World Golf Village is right by there, and there are some major golf tournaments. Uh-huh. And, of course, the golfers would come in for the tournaments. And you would come in on an, uh, you know, on a golf at the weekend of that, and, you know, there's the aerobatic training going on, there's corporate traffic coming on, there's just regular student pilot activity, all on common frequency. So you had to have your, your head on a pretty good swivel coming in there. But yeah, now really. we have a, a tower and a really cordial, great staff there, uh, which I can't say the same. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but about all the airports that I regularly go in and out of. Yeah. There's a, I, you know, it's, Caldwell. Caldwell. 
<laughs> I, I, I think it was last week I talked about a, a visit I made to Laconia Airport uh, up here in New Hampshire. And one of the things I didn't mention is, uh, so you, you, you go to Laconia and there's a sort of traditional uh, ramp near the, uh, the FD, FBO slash terminal building. Um, but you go around the corner uh, and there is a truly monstrous paved ramp. All right. I mean, I'm talking like two football fields. It's huge. Mm. All right. Um, and you have to tax the if you're going to get self-service gas, you got to taxi way the heck to the edge of the airport because that's where the tanks are and so forth and so on. So you taxi across this monstrous ramp, all right, that is empty. I mean, there were no airplanes on this ramp, all right? And I was thinking about what's going on here, and I think I know the answer. I should have asked, but I'm going to guess. And the answer is there are two major events. First of all, um, every summer the big bike week happens in Laconia, that's and I would right. imagine that brings a lot of uh, a lot of visitor traffic in. But the other thing is that right over the other side of the hill is the, I don't know its official name, the New Hampshire Speedway, um, which is a major NASCAR uh, facility. And uh, I can imagine that there are weekends of the year when that ramp is filled with all sorts of cool airplanes of uh, mm. uh, people coming to the races and, and uh-huh. uh, you know drivers and owners and whatnot. And uh, but it's it was interesting that it's a uh, it's uh, you know your your typical little you know semi sleepy grassroots airport except there's this monstrous ramp that's empty. <laughs> all right, that was just completely empty. So I have to check that out one of these days. Anyways, that's pretty cool. Gonna have to visit St. Augustine one of these days. That that sounds like yes, a lot of fun. Yes, come on down. Sounds Please like a lot do. of fun. Hey, welcome folks to episode. Number 107 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, November 6, 2008. And uh, let me say hi to the gang here in the virtual hangar. Uh, one of those voices out there is Dave Higdon, who's joining us once again by telephone from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm oh, doing pretty good for using the old string and can technology. Hey, sadly, it's working better than the modern Internet technology, at least from your location. And uh, we're still struggling with uh, trying to figure out how to fix Dave's Internet connection. But uh, one of these when, days... when, when do you think you'll get broadband out in Kansas, Dave? Uh, I'm not really sure here. We're, we, we, we put in for a couple of new rolls of kite string, though. Oh, that's kite good. Kite string seems to work best between the cans. Uh, I, I, I think this problem I'm, is the way the wind's blowing right now, it makes the string hum anyway. <laughs> What's going on out there, Dave? You been having any fun? Oh, yeah, having a good time. Uh, headed out Saturday, this coming uh, Saturday morning, uh, day after tomorrow, to a uh, fly-in pancake breakfast at Lloyd Stearman Field in Benton, Kansas. Uh, be cool. a nice grassroots gathering out there. A lot of biplanes and uh, wow. antiques, but uh, also a lot of Cirai. There's a diamond dealership on the field. They just lengthened it. Uh, this mm. is, was a sleepy little 2,600-foot strip where I got my instrument rating mostly at night. And uh, new owners uh, bought out. The old owners uh, put some money into it, got state grant. Uh, added a real taxiway, uh, then bought property to the south, lengthened the runway, uh, opened up some lots to build houses on because it is a mm. residential air park. Uh, they really changed it from the little sleepy place that I first stumbled on about 19 years ago. So Sounds great. Sounds great. You'll have to give us a report sure, later on. It's a private airport? It's privately owned, uh, public mm-hmm. access, uh, mm-hmm. one kilo one is the designator. And if you buy a house there, you have through the fence access then? Oh, you're on the, you're, you're inside the fence. Wow. If you buy cool. one of the building lots there, you, you basically have runway access. Yeah, cool. 
We're all going to move to your your airport when you finally go and set it up. And yeah, I hope you you build a nice big house. Yeah, that's right. That's, oh, yes, yeah. Tennessee, right? Kentucky. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, also here in the hangar is Jeb Burnside. Jeb's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing, Jack? I'm good. Except I spent all day long driving a car, which through the rain, Uh-oh. it was not a fun day, I'll tell you. But, that's uh, not a fun day. No, no, but I'm here now, and I'm in the hangar, and I'm having a good time. So what's going on down Florida? The weather's really good. Had any snow yet? No, no snow yet, but mm-hmm. we keep, you know, keep looking, you know, over our shoulder. Um, did a little bit of flying last weekend and uh, just trying to, you know, get into the... That's right. We're going to talk about this. You're, you're a video superstar now. Well, your nose is. <laughs> your nose is. <laughs> but but uh, uh, I don't know about the superstar part either. Although that video did get uh, did get a lot of hits. I bet it did. I bet it did. And your but your airplane got more screen time than you did. Oh, the airplane got a lot of screen time. I, I was either you know holding the teleprompter or holding the camera. That's so, right. Yeah. Hey, and also oh, yeah, uh, it was very familiar seeing the outside and the inside of uh-huh. your airplane. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. And also in the hangar this evening is James. James Winbrand. He's talking to us from the Big Apple, New York City. Hi, James. Hey, how are you doing? Good, Great good. to be in the hangar with good. you guys again. Now, you're up here in the Northeast where we have much more normal weather. And uh... Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, I, I saw Mr. Higdon, of course, uh, a couple of weeks ago down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, and uh, before we move on, I am Jack Hodgson, and I'm up here at the uh, UCAP World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. Rainy, nasty. It's not too cold, actually, but uh, it's not but a pleasant day. But he is day. at the World Headquarters. I'm at World, World Headquarters, where we'll, we will hear the trains go by from time to time. But anyways. <laughs> so uh, so let's see. Boy, it's been a big week. Not so much in aviation, but just in the world in general. Um, I don't know how much we're going to talk about that, but uh, uh, the uh, election here in the United States was just this past week, and uh, um, we were going to have a new president one way or the other. Uh, we now have a new president-elect, and it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Um, we talked a lot about this kind of stuff last week. We're probably going to stay away from it a little bit this week, but uh, but uh, it will be interesting to see how how uh, the new administration treats general aviation and, and whether it resolves some of our concerns or or what. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's early to say. Do you guys have any? The day that, that there's nothing coming down the highway that's going to be terribly hurtful to us. Uh, that that we can't manage to sway appropriately. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree. With one exception, and that's from the folks that are just a, a totally senseless organi- uh, totally senseless agency. Yeah, I agree with that. that. Because I beat on that a lot last week. Next yeah. week we'll have new stuff. That's right. We'll, <laughs> we'll have new stuff. But, I, you know, Dave, Dave makes an important point. And I was, uh, irrespective of, of how our listeners might have voted, um, all indications right now are that, uh, one, uh, tra- transportation is pretty far down the list of, of priorities. But more important, um, um, the, um, the staffing choices that are going to be made, the cabinet-level selections, the transition team selections, um, uh, staff White House staffing selections being made uh, so far, anyway, and it's still very, very early, um, have been uh, uh, well considered and uh, are are involving people um, who uh, are are very good or at least very well versed in in their particular area of expertise. So, 
Uh, I'm optimistic. People. Yeah, I, I qualified. Yeah, is uh, is the key. So I'm I'm you know I I would expect to see um, in the transportation arena and aviation arena. I would expect to see people who uh, might have worked for uh, uh, Normanetta uh, or might have worked for Jane Garvey. Um, and, you know, in a, in a immediate uh, uh, subsidiary role, or maybe a, a third level uh, role, or something like that, uh, may have worked the may have worked on the hill, something like that, um, coming forward in in the transportation arena. But then again, I don't know. Uh, I'm well, just speculating. I, I just expect that what comes forward is going to be pragmatic and progressive. I think pragmatic uh, is the opposite word. That yeah, I think pragmatic. Yeah. 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 A pra- pragmatic and progressive, and uh, uh, well, you know, without belaboring it further, uh, I know that the folks at, at different levels of our community that represent all of our interests across our community are really adept at making very logical educate uh, logical right. points through their process of educating you know new people in in new in, in the roles that have long existed at one layer or another. And I got a lot of confidence in the folks coming in and the smarts to recognize the logic that's going to be sold to them, that's mm-hmm. going to be presented to them. Yeah. Uh, and, and that gives me a lot of confidence that uh, we're going to see some movement on issues that we've been watching for for the last couple of years. Doesn't mean it's going to be any easier than it was before. Doesn't mean that we're not going to have to, you know, make our feelings heard in various ways to various people. Uh, but I don't think we're going to find anything in the new folks that are going to be entrenched opposition to the goals that we all have, and that's a useful FAA, a good air traffic control system, uh, support for small airports and large airports alike, and uh, and an opportunity to help in growing our community. So, And then, of course, there's TSA. Yeah, and then there's TSA. Then, of course, there's TSA. So you know, I is. saw one of these. Dave, you posted this on the on our story list, um, where your 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 headline, your little your little headline is "Been there, saw that." Been as in B I N. Been there, saw that. Um, yeah. Apparently, the, the, apparently that you if you, you're looking for an advertising opportunity for your product, well, here's one for you. You can put a, a little sticker, uh, or not a little, a big sticker, um, on the bottom of those bins that they uh, that you put your oh, computer. Oh, Foxtrot, my. <laughs> yeah. I actually saw one of these. I, no, I saw one of these recently, and I have to tell you, I saw. I was in the airport and I was going through the security thing, and I saw this sticker in the bottom of the of the bin. And I, I truly, at the time, thought, why in the world would anybody want to be associated with this procedure? I don't well, understand. We, when when TSA started this as a test project, we talked about this on the podcast a little bit, and I made that same point. Uh, that, you know, does, is this an advertising tool for people who want to attract customers or drive them away? Yeah, I mean, what you do and, is you, and, and if you're IBM, the, if you're IBM, you pay for an Apple logo to be at the bottom of the bin. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, you think that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> well, and, 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 and if you go to the link that we'll have with this, you know, there's the company that has the exclusive and so and and so far exclusive and by the way patented <laughs> yeah okay patented system for not only putting ads in the bottom of of the bins that we use to shove our crap through the x-ray machines but also the system for retrieving them and putting them on a on a uh, on a specially tooled little hand cart 
to take them from the departure end of the security check conveyor to the arrival end yeah. in a seamless fashion. Uh, and one of the airports, the reason I put Ben there saw that is one of the airports in the test drive program was my good old hometown airport, Wichita, Midcontinent, India, Charlie, Tango. Uh, so I've seen this a couple of times since the pilot project started. And I got to tell you that in the great flow of traffic that goes through an airport checkpoint, I really didn't get to spend a freaking moment reading the ad. Yeah. I, I, uh... So I hope they fit. And the idea is that these ad revenues will pay for upgrading all the equipment at all the airports that have TSA checkpoints, to which I say good luck with that as well. All right, we're back, uh, and through the magic of, of uh, podcast technology, <laughs> we've, we've now moved James over to uh, regular telephone because his Skype connection was having troubles. So uh, we're two. It's just you and me, Jeb. Hang in there. We can do it. Uh, there is Alexander Graham Bell when you're really needing. That's right. Yeah. Not all foo bars are created equal. That's right. What were we talking about, uh, Dave? You were talking about uh, something. I forget. The I was ads. talking about Security Point Media, the brilliant company that patented a technology for putting ads in the bottom of the security bins that we use to put our crap through airports when we have to fly commercial. An astoundingly oh, clever idea, but uh, yeah. And how it's not, not worthy of all was part of the test program, and every time I went through that airport, it was so busy getting through the checkpoint that there was really never an opportunity to read what was at the bottom of the bins. Yeah. Now, if it had been on the inside of my tennis shoes, yeah, I then, might then you, well have seen it. Then you might have seen it. So, anyways, I might have seen it. So, anyone's looking, anyone's really desperate for an advertising opportunity, you might want to buy with the bottom of these bins. And this is going nationwide, kiddies. That's why we brought it up. I couldn't find a way to link the press release that they sent me this got, morning. Got to get in, but, you know, on the ground floor. Uh, yeah. I don't think uh, you know. It's advertising is so much about environment, and I don't can't think of a whole lot of products where that's a great environment. You just you know make yeah. your way through the line, and you're looking at the you want to get out of there as fast as possible. And you're probably going to have a kind of a bad association with anything connected with that experience. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, anyways, that's enough about that. That's crazy. The other, the other connotation, yeah. of course, is that this company not only are they financially supporting this 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 process shall we call it but the implication is that they philosophically support it also mm-hmm. and that's not well, necessarily Rolodex. something that i would want to associate my so, so we should actually choose to actively avoid any businesses that advertise in this that's location. kind of my plan except that's, i find that yeah. i've already invested in one product that's an advertiser has been rolodex Rolodex? Well, okay. Old technology. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's... uh, Yeah, but my investment in Rolodex has long since been depreciated, so I'd be stressed. I would think so, yes. Hey, we were were talking a few minutes ago about Jeb being a TV star, or at least Jeb's airplane being a TV star. I want to call attention to this. It was actually kind of a cool video. In last week's podcast, we talked at length about the the new uh, Garmin 696, 695, I guess it's a little bit of both. Um, 696, 695. Tablet GPS. Seven ninety five. That uh, sell sell. That Garmin has an, has uh, has uh, is introducing out at uh, at AOPA Expo right now, and uh, 
and and Jeb alluded to the fact that he was going to get a chance to fly it the next day, and apparently that flight turned into this video, which is hosted by uh, Paul Bertarelli from Avweb, and uh, features uh, uh, Jeb's shoulder, uh, Jeb's <laughs> nose. There's a, there's a knee airplane. in there somewhere. Too. That's right. It, I, it, it features a really cute. It feels it features a real cutie called Debbie. Yeah, that's right. His airplane is 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 uh, is has a central role in this whole thing. And I think I actually heard you speak uh, in in the background at one point in the video, Jeb. Oh yeah, uh, he was talking to ATC. Yeah. I, I was talking on Unicom uh, or something. Yeah. Uh, uh, I know I know they got me uh, um, the audio as I was making an announcement, taking the active. Yeah, yeah. It added to the reality show environment of the whole thing. Exactly right. Exactly. But uh, oh, I, I, hats off to Paul. I mean, he he conceived this thing, and and he's done this uh, before. But he's by no stretch of the imagination a, a videographer or anything like that. But um, you know, he he conceived this. He scripted it. Um, he he did the storyboard on it, and uh, uh, there were three well of us. Yeah, it was, it was very well done. I was very no, I agree. I, and we tease you about it, but it, it was a very interesting video, and uh, um, I, I, I urge. And that's why I wanted to mention it. So I urge. We, people we did to, another one uh, Monday. I'm not sure um, um, if it's been cut or put up on on Avwa. We did another one Monday, just uh, um, on the ground in the airplane, um, doing some. A little bit more discussion of the features of the 696 and and how it mounts and and can it be uh, yoke mounted or is it too big? Well, it comes with a which is an interesting thing. This is one of the things we talked about in the video. It comes with um, some ram mount components. If you're familiar with the ram mounting system, yeah. um, some of the it, it comes with a kind of a universal uh, base mount. Uh, and enough components that you can mount it to a yoke. Um, my airplane already has a RAM base mount uh, on the uh, throwover yoke, and we use that in the in the video, and obviously uh, in, in airborne in the in the video we're talking about. Um, it it should be relatively easy to mount in a Cessna, on a Piper, uh, whatever. Yeah, the only I would real think so. The only there, there's two tricks here. First of all, this thing's big. Okay, it's it's a lot bigger um, screen size than say a 396, 496 product. Mm-hmm. Um, three three and a half times as much. Right, right. It's it's not nearly as thick uh, as no. the the 496, 396 product, but it's about an inch, inch and a half thick, maybe two inches. I forget which. But here's the problem I see with it. I won't say problem. Problem is the wrong word. Here's a consideration. And the consideration is, in addition to the size, physical size of the of the unit, it's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's heavier, much heavier than a three ninety six, four ninety six. So, not only you know, is it going to be blocking panel space or or uh, uh, blocking sight of other parts of the airplane, um, if it's on a flimsy mount, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be impossible to use. So you need well, a ramp like uh, a device. Here's the mount that it struck me as being the missing useful idea for that, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And that is a kneeboard mount. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you can strap it to your leg. It's off the yoke. It's out of your vision stream from the panel instruments that you need. But it's just like looking down at a, at a charter or plate. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's wrong with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's not a bad idea. And and because of the touch screen, um, it 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 should be fairly easy. We ought to you know just kind of form a little company here and go make a, a kneeboard mount for this right yeah. now. Yeah, I good. like that idea. It'd be the first uh, product Jack in the UCAP store. Out. I know, right? Yeah, Jack, you'll have to but, cut out this discussion. Yeah, but, right. Okay. But I, I know what you're talking about because the little uh, scam, SkyMap 3C that uh, uh-huh. I got from Honeywell that flew on our Comanche for a long time, it had this great yoke mount, really heavy duty because the unit was about three inches thick huh? and had a uh, uh, five-inch diagonal. That's a three-by-four-inch screen. So it was a bigger screen than the, the 396, 496 to begin with. It uh, wasn't a touch screen, uh, uh-huh. but it had a whole bunch of the same functions. did not have the airport database or weather data link, but it would drive an autopilot. It would talk to a fuel right. totalizer or engine management system if you wanted it to. Uh, but that puppy was heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. James, that what sort of... heavy, and it came with a kneeboard. Uh-huh. It came with a, a, a little attachment you could put on and strap it to your leg. But the bloody thing needed a cooling fan because of the uh-huh. electronics in it. And your leg would get so hot. So I just put it on the yoke and learned to kind of lean forward or sideways to look around what it occasionally blocked from my field of view. Yeah, James, what sort of uh, GPS slash navigation device do you have in your airplane? I'm very uh, low-tech. I have a 396. And the rest are the steam gauges that uh, that came with the aircraft. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I do have two uh, RNAV units in there, but, you know, they get trumped by the yoke-mounted 396. I have a storm scope, so I don't, well, not so, but I don't have... Uh, My God, that's like the same technology the Wright brothers used, right? <laughs> what RNAV do you have, Dave? Uh Whatchamacallit, the... Uh, uh, the uh, King uh, Arnett. KNS-80? Yeah, KNS, dual KNS-80. Oh, that's 80s. cool. That's, those yeah. are very cool units. Mm-hmm. So they're great yeah, units, but, you know, they are, again, sort of dated. So, of course, I have, uh, you know, VORs plugged in all the time, uh-huh. but I'm doing most of my navigating via the uh, the GPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, the storm scope is invaluable. Uh, my previous plane had no storm avoidance, and... Yeah. It was no fun flying in weather without being able to see where the Man, stuff was. I know what you're talking about. So yeah. it's really, you know, it's great. And I have to say, overall, you know, I've been so fortunate. When it's lit up, it always seems to be not on the nose. I mean, there have been occasional times where, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm not getting through this stuff. But uh, usually it works out that, hey, wow, this is great. I'm just going by it or it's off on the side or, you know, a few degrees away and and I can get around this weather. And and it's great knowing where it is in real time. That's great. Moving on here. uh, You know, it's it's, uh, this is a sign of the times. It looks like we're going to have this kind of a story, one of these stories every week now for a while. Um, the latest is that uh, it was announced just in the last couple of days that uh, mm-hmm. Mooney has temporarily halted production um, and laid off uh, a couple hundred workers. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to really digest this whole story. James, of course, you're the Mooney guy. Do you have any more insight into what's going on here? Well, I, you know, I had heard things, rumors about this, that they were having some problems. And in fact, I saw Dave Franson down at NBAA and I asked him about that and he just said, admitted, look, you know, uh, Mooney's having problems like everybody else. We have an expensive airplane and uh, 
we're trying to get people to buy it, and things are slow right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. they're, they're, I was with I was with a, uh, a a person that's deeply involved with Mooney's business yesterday. Mm. When that person got the call from Kerrville with news of what was happening, and you know that kind of had to put that person into in, into action to do some uh, some of what what that person does. But this is by no means, you know, new or starting with Mooney or, or singling out Mooney in any way. Right. Cirrus right. has already cut back on production. Right. They've gone to three-day weeks. Uh, and since we last podcasted, Hawker Beach here in Wichita has announced it's laying off about 5% of its worldwide workforce. That's about 300, uh, 480, 490 people. Uh, of which about 360 are going to be here in Wichita. Uh, not a day or two later, Cessna announced that it was revising its 2009 production targets downward. Still going to be up from 2008, uh, but not up as much as they'd originally anticipated. And... Uh, you know there are other ripples through the market, and, and following this for one of my clients back as far as January of this year, uh, this is a this is a dip in the, in if you will in the curve that's been coming for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And there's uh, two. You know, and it, 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 it's exacerbated, not started, and not because of. It's exacerbated from the big stock market dip and the big credit availability dip right. that came late in September, early October. Uh, but this has been coming for a while. Yeah, James, you were going. There are two different markets here, at least. But in broad strokes, there's the piston end of it, and there is the uh, the the business turbine end of it it's you know kind of in again in broad strokes piston end is as we've seen from uh gamma figures before this quarter have been down uh business aircraft they fortunately are cushioned they all have back orders going years into the future so even if people drop out it's unlikely that they will not be able to move orders up from people who uh, who don't want to have to wait five years to get their aircraft. Uh, you know, it's going to create problems and headaches, and obviously they don't want to lose sales. I, I assume one thing one would tell themselves in that position, well, if they drop out now when the market rebounds and the world so economy be rebounds, the they'll be back in and they will get in line again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But well, clearly right, the right now we're here in we're hearing about far more requests about deferrals right, right. than we are mm-hmm. out now cancellations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that's that's one piece of good news. So but deferral the being reality is that can- the backlogs had gotten so extreme that you know it was just a matter mm-hmm. of time before advanced orders started to slow down, even in a perfect world. Yeah, you reach a limit of you know the people that are willing to put down a deposit, sign well, a contract for an airplane that they're not going to see for six or seven years. And I was going to say, you know, and and what's what other airplanes are going to be on the market mm-hmm. in that in that in the meantime, and what well, exactly. advances well, in the existing airframes are going to be on the market in the meantime, and does it really make sense to commit so far out 
You know, well, they, I can understand if it was a new airframe, if it was like, a, you know, a, uh, the Arion well, like SSD Jet. is a good example. Right, right. But, you know, but for, you, a, you, for you, a, you an XL or, or uh, uh, even well, a Gulf, you, you know, some you, of the Gulf you, streams, you, I don't see committing that far out. No, mm-hmm. but here's the deal. You commit that far out, and they bring along an upgrade, an improvement, or an alternative. And probably lock in the price. They will give you a crack at that for, you know, just the adjustment in price difference without the escalator. In other words, if you lock in for a certain model right now and, you know, three years before your delivery date, they announce that they're going to replace it or upgrade it, you're not out on the cold stuck with that old one necessarily. Mm -hmm. They're going to come to you before they even announce the new model or the upgrade to the public, and say, here's your opportunity to get in at the head of the line. Right. And it's not going to move up your delivery date, but it is going to move up your technology base. And some some people listening may ask, well, great for them, but what good does that do me? I don't have a jet. I'm never going to be able to order right. one. Well, that well, keeps it, the industry vital. That keeps things moving forward. There's, you know... That's what also in, in part drives the, the piston end of the market, but it does kind of keep keep things lubricated, at least at some end of the it marketplace. Does. Well, and it's, you know, it's, there's no question the piston end of the market is by far more sensitive to fluctuations in what mm-hmm. goes on in the economy overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now we unfortunately have kind of, a, in my mind, a perfect storm. Uh, perfect storm being first... Pre-owned aircraft sales started to slow down pretty substantially a year ago. Yep. Uh, inventory started to grow, depressing values. Depressing values made some people change their minds about selling right now, which also made you know created some influence on their decision of when they were going to take that new one they had on order. Right. Then, then. Then you get the big stock market tank and the big credit crisis that have come along in the last six or eight weeks on top of that trend already starting. And that's when people start to get really nervous. You see some of the plane makers that are by no means in any risk of being in red ink next year or even having their deliveries go down next year start to take action to avoid getting into a situation where they're losing money uh, in the year after. Yeah. So you're going to start to see things slow down now uh, and the canary in the coal mines, you know, Pist- that's Cirrus, that's Mooney. Uh, Cessna's piston deliveries have been way down, even on the new model. Uh, the Colum- you know, the Columbia uh, from Lance Air has mm-hmm. inherited jobs. Uh I'm sure Piper is going to show up some down on this. Uh, Hawker Beach, uh, it's uh, Bonanza and King Air models. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of this that are pre-sold to the dealer network, so these things don't show up immediately. But you'll start to see them show up in the 2009 numbers, the 2010 numbers. Uh, the business jets, not so much. Far more of that stuff was bought farther in advance. Well, uh, you know, another thing here too buyers is that they're going to be able to get the credit that they need. Yeah, another thing here too is that um, I think the um, the international market um, is is such a big factor 
in yeah. um, um, sales of, of U.S. manufactured general aviation aircraft, the demand uh, for pistons isn't as great. Uh, in part because piston avgas, piston aviation fuel, isn't that readily available overseas. But so more you importantly, have to have a diesel-powered airplane. Yeah, um, but you know, caravans and and uh, King Airs and and uh, PC12s. PC12s, of course, not being uh, manufactured uh, uh, by a, an American company. Um, but uh, you're going to see a lot of strong demand from overseas, irrespective yeah. of economic conditions here in the States. But e- e- well, even some of that's going to start to... It will. It's, it, know, it has. Pull back start. a little bit. But we're still talking about a pullback that, in my mind, is not going to be this big, draconian, dramatic <laughs> drop. It's going to be a, a decline from what are, you know, the headiest days in jet building history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last year, this year, and next year. I've and never it, seen any years like it. We're going to see it fall back to what it was four and five years ago, not seven and eight years ago. Two, two other, or one other factor here, too, is, um, you know, fuel prices are, are very volatile right now. Um, I, I can buy regular unleaded for two thirty three just down the street. It's it's just insane versus, you know, four thirty three six months ago. It's It's just insane. But... Um, those the volatility in fuel prices are, are has really hammered the airlines, and the airlines yeah. themselves uh, are taking in the shorts um, as a result of the general economic downturn. People are not traveling as much, whether it's for business reasons, personal reasons, whatever. Uh, prices are going up. The uncertainty of of airline travel is even greater. Uncertainty is not the not maybe not the right word, but there's an uncertainty and there's also an unpleasantness uh, yeah. associated with airline well, travel. There's fewer flights, and here, here's, you know here's the, you got you got a lot the, of competition here, the, here for for um, uh, travel. Um, again, business or personal travel, and yeah. you're going to see some people either decide you know it, it's not worth it to me. It's to, personally, it's not to me. Uh, worth it to get on an airliner and and go somewhere. Uh, the hassle factor is just too high. That's going to continue. Uh, and if they can go out and and uh, cut it, cut some some other deal for their air transportation, they will do it. And it's just well, a matter of trying to come up with that right vehicle. And I say vehicle, I put that in quotes. I'm not talking about a Cirrus, or, but I am talking about maybe a package deal to, to for someone to operate a Cirrus for them. Well, we started this conversation today talking about values, and uh-huh. Dave, you mentioned about some bonanzas, and and Jeb, you mentioned looking in trade plane and seeing the value of your aircraft has gone right. down. Uh, my aircraft, I might have bought it, you know, I've had it now for about 10 years, I might have bought it at the peak mm-hmm. of its value. And, you know, every so often it's like, boy, you know, if, if I had waited or something, you know, and it, I could have gotten that same airplane for X less. But, at the, you know, I, that thought crossed my mind about a nanosecond before I yeah. think of all the flights I've exactly. been able to oh, take yeah. with that airplane since I had, and I wouldn't give up. I don't care how much more I paid uh-huh. for it when I got it. I, I wouldn't give up 
a day of having it mm-hmm. yeah. or, you know, waiting, hoping that maybe the price would go down. It's right. like the commercials say, having that available and the adventures I've had, priceless. Right. So, exactly. you know, you know anybody it. out there thinking, well, you know, I'll wait and, you know, maybe I'll stop flying or maybe I'll buy an airplane that'll be cheaper a year from now, uh, you it know. Was a per- it was a personal low point for me to sell Air Comanche mm-hmm. when yeah. we did. Uh, and I'm not going to feel, and this is this is one of the weirder admissions of my life. I'm not going to feel complete, yeah, until there's something in a hangar somewhere mm-hmm. on a lease under my name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. Uh, oh, I I understand. I, I was having it, I was having a conversation um, um, not long ago um, about getting on an airliner, and I was like, I'm not going to get on an airliner and go to that particular destination. I won't take my own airplane. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the uh, response was, "Well, you're never going to get on an airliner again." And I kind of can help it. I, basically, <laughs> my exact response: there's, there's no reason. I've got my own airplane. I don't have to get on an airliner anymore. When when we owned an airplane, people said, "So you know, do you do you, do you use that for everything?" Let me put it this way: my goal in life is to never have to set foot on another human mailing tube. <laughs> Now, that doesn't mean that I don't recognize that there are going to be times when that's the smarter or right. more cost-effective thing. But it will be a bitter pill to swallow, even when it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it won't be nearly as interesting, it won't be as much fun, and it'll be far less satisfying. And, uh, in a and lot of ways, less comfortable, too. Much much less comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and a few days ago, I spent uh, an hour and a half, two hours... Uh, looking at different websites for airline tickets for the bride and I to go home and visit our respective widowed mothers at Christmas. Hmm. Now, this is nearly two months out, kiddies. Almost two months out. Mm -hmm. And before we even get into the fees for any checked bags, we're looking at 40 to 50% more money than a year ago. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. and and an equally rich selection of flights, none of which are particularly satisfying, a couple are more direct than others. But forty to fifty percent more than a year ago. Uh and over some routes about fifteen to twenty percent fewer choices. Well he- and that's you know, a lot of the person that's stuck traveling by the airlines right now is you that know, it's going to be more expensive and you're going to have fewer what? options. Dude, I didn't I, didn't I say that like five minutes ago? I'm kidding. <laughs> you, know, you know, though, Dave, that before all the smoke clears, what you're going to spend on airline tickets and on check, checking bags and on airport food and on cab fare and on skycap tips and all that crapola is going to work out to about, you know, three or four months worth of airplane payments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. And if I boil and it that, down. And that's one weekend. If I boil it down, and I had this debate with somebody on the, on, on the forum site. Uh, it was really useful for both of us, and I, I'm sorry I don't remember specifically who it was. But one of the fundamentals of my cost-benefit analysis on travel is that owning the airplanes is a given. 
the variable is the gas price. Right. If a trip will let if a trip will let me get there for equal or within ten percent in gas money of what the airline's going to cost me, mm-hmm. I'm going to spend more if I have to. Yeah. Because owning the airplane is a given. I yeah. don't have to make every trip add up with all the amortization, you know, the hour mm-hmm. by hour cost, engine reserves, insurance, hangar, all that stuff. Because those cost me the same whether I fly the airplane one hour, mm-hmm. 100 hours, or 200 hours a year. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is can I make the trip for within 10% in gas of what I'll spend on the airline? That's right. And there's a lot of trips that don't work out to that equation unless it's both the me and the bride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Christmas was always one of those. Yeah. Well, here's another destination for you when you get your airplane, or for those of you who already have your airplane. Uh, this is from a uh, posting in the forums. Uh, one of our listeners who goes in the forums by the name of PH-BJB, I'm sure that's his initials of some sort, um, he writes uh, in the uh, forums, he says, I'm a U.S. private pilot, but I also, my train is going by, can you hear it? uh, I I can hear it, but uh, anyways. I'm a U.S. private pilot, but also have Netherlands and Singapore licenses, and I've been flying in Asia for a while. I've blogged about some of my experiences at, and he gives his uh, blog address, we'll give that in a minute. He says, one experience in particular comes to mind, and that is landing at uh, I, I'm going to pronounce this, Tioman Islands in Malaysia. He says, Tioman, right. Tioman. He says it's a, it's a one-way runway that ends in a mountain. And uh, he gives us a, a link to uh, his blog posting where he talks about uh, flying into this uh, runway that uh, is, I guess, apparently it's parallel to the shoreline, uh, but you have to kind of fly straight at the mountains on base leg, then turn uh, final, then come over some trees, then uh, drop down quickly to get on the on the runway, and then apply brakes because at the far end of the runway is a mountain. All right, And, uh, and to take off, you have to then turn around 180 degrees and take back off the other way um, and uh, fascinating fascinating uh, blog post he's put up here um, describing uh, the preparation and the training and the checkout that you have to do for this and then his actual experience of flying in and out of this uh, this field uh, it's pretty interesting um, he uh, this always brings to mind to me um, the scene from from that that really mediocre movie that had some great flying in it, which was Air America. Oh yeah. Mm. Uh, and and one of the scenes in Air America has uh, has uh, 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 Mel Gibson uh, landing as uh, I'm not sure what was it a Pilatus of some sort or Leo uh, Courier. Uh, Hilo Courier um, into the into the jungle uh, in uh, in Southeast Asia and landing on a runway which is very very short and seriously uphill like a forty I don't know a thirty degree angle uphill or something like that and uh, his passenger who is a newcomer to the uh, to flying in in Southeast Asia is just horrified as what they're about at what they're about to do but it looks to me like they really did it and I can imagine it can be done if you know what you're doing but uh, but. Uh, our listener here talks about uh, doing something not quite as dramatic, but but pretty interesting in in Malaysia. Um, well, the, the guy goes by the name of Flying Dutchman on his blog. Yep, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know I love it. Uh, yeah. There are some airports here in the in the, in the lower forty-eight. Oh, a number of them. Uh, oh, yeah. There are a number of them, and there are some that we can we can relate to internationally from firsthand. Uh, like sitting in the jump seat of a de Havilland Dash 7, going into Narsarsawak, Greenland. And the east end, or the west end of the runway is at the end of the fjord. It's water. Mm-hmm. 
and the uh, opposite end of the runway is a rock face. Mm -hmm. And you get to the rock face, and you turn around, and you go back out the way you came in, which is fortunately sloping downhill, unfortunately, to the water's edge. Right. It was a great seaplane base yeah <laughs> okay yeah and uh yeah in uh idaho i've been uh to several and uh again training is the key because there are some of these not only are they uh only one directional unidirectional in there you know you go in and come out the same way but they are what they call no go rounds once yeah. you yeah. commit yeah. You are either you're going to be on the ground in one piece or in a in few of them pieces. or compressed <laughs> because the there is no option. Your plane is not going to outclimb what's ahead, and it's all yeah. about uh, control of the aircraft. And they're all you know basic rule: all power on landings because mm -hmm. you got to be able to you know you want to be on the backside of the power curve, get the wheels down, pull the power out, and stomp on the brakes. You know, it's there's there's video out there of of and I don't know if it, this is this airport's in in either the Italian or the Swiss Alps and someone I'm sure will 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 correct me I don't know that I don't recall the name of someone I'm sure will remind me but there's video of a guy in a Baron and this airport apparently requires special certification special training to get uh, in and out of. There's video of a guy uh, flying his Baron into this airport, and it's basically a reverse ski jump. Uh, or mm. It's basically a ski <laughs> jump. Uh, and you, you, you land. Um, there's, there's one way in, and there's one way out. And, it's mm -hmm. up, yep. and you land and power up and, and, and to end up at the top of the runway and, and taxi off onto the ramp. And um, when, you, when you depart, you just kind of fall off the side of the mountain kind of a deal. Um, Believe it or not, there's a there's a little place about 50 miles west of Wichita that mm -hmm. is not in the mountains, but it is about 1600 wait, MSL. Wait, you, have, you have mountains in Kansas? Well, <laughs> yeah, like the mountains in Florida. Like the mountains in Florida. Yeah, yeah. But it's a a little private piece of prairie that's active runway and it's trimmed and rolled and marked and windsocked and all that. But if you have below, oh, I don't, let's say if you have less than 150 horsepower and more than a 55-knot rotation speed, mm -hmm. it is a one-way in, one-way out because the end drops you into the bottom of a runway that is from that point uphill yeah. the rest of the way. Yeah. And you are not going to get that little low, underpowered, <clears throat> relatively high stall speed airplane out going uphill for takeoff you yeah. need less than seven knots and you need to take it off the other way because it's all downhill all 2500 feet of it I, i've got a buddy of mine uh, i won't say buddy he's he's a, a very uh I, I consider him a friend very close acquaintance anyway um and i don't know the exact story of of uh, uh the status of this uh of his ownership of this property right now but uh, it was a few years ago. He owned it outright. Uh, it's a, I'll say, uh, very well, nice, very, very nicely done, well, very well done farm, uh, just south southwest of Charlottesville, Virginia. And he does, uh, or, or did at the time, um, harness. Uh, I won't say harness. Uh, a horse team driver training. 
Yeah. Ah, okay. Seriously. You know, like, you know, teams of, of four, six, eight horses uh, pulling a wagon, and he would train people to do this. This is apparently, obviously a very lost art uh, out there, but he had this, this acreage that, uh, I don't know, was family property, whatever. It, obviously, make a long story short, he had an airstrip. And this was maybe a 3,500-foot-long strip. It was very wide, I'd say 200 feet wide at least, very well kept. Um, but it was just a gentle rolling hill. And there was really, I mean, you could land downhill once. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you landed going uphill. It was, it was a fairly gentle slope, I'd say maybe 5%. Um, and you took off going downhill, and it was a piece of cake. Yeah, you yeah. didn't want to try it any other way because right. you know why bother? Yeah, plenty of space uh, and plenty of uh, of uh, uh, runway and everything to do it. But uh, a lot of always fun. Always enjoyed. Always enjoyed taking somebody with me, yeah. sitting on the sitting on the right side or the left side. Yeah, taking this to an airport this- where you had to land at the low end of the runway. A couple of months ago, and I was up immediately flare for a big slope uphill uh-huh. because when the approach was correct, it was kind of an optical delusion. It looked like you were going to crash into the arrival end of the runway because that was really the only thing you saw yeah. in the windscreen. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's an airport in the D.C. area. This, this uh, airport I just described uh, down near Charlottesville, Virginia, uh, the operator there is named Fred Scott, and uh, uh, kudos to Fred. But uh, there's another airport in the, in the D.C. area called Hyde Executive. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, and, I remember that. And sure. the, uh, I think it's runway 1-4. I forget which, which – the, I forget the numbers, but it's like a uh, southerly or, or southeasterly uh, runway. Um, the first, I don't know, couple of hundred feet of it, I guess, are um, kind of flat, and then there's a there's an uphill portion, and then it flattens out again, and this is over the space of maybe a couple hundred more feet. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got you know the first 500 feet of this runway, I guess, and it's maybe a 4,000 foot long runway. The first three or 400 feet of this runway, you've got this little. You got a flat space, and you got an uphill hump, and then it flattens out again. And as you're approaching this, you're you're looking at, and there's of course wires on 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 that end of the of the runway also. So you have to get the wire. It's it's, it's not nearly as as hazardous or as tricky as it sounds. Um, you do have to be on your toes. But anyway, the punchline is, as you're approaching, you decide, all right, do I want to land long and forget forget the little whoop de do hump and everything here, or do I want to get fancy? And try to get you know the wheels on the runway here as soon as I can, um, so I'll have a minimal rollout because of the little uphill portion there. Well, I, I've done it both ways, but uh, a phenomenally short rollout in a Skyhawk or something like that. When you you come in there and put the wheels on the numbers, and you you easily make the first taxiway turnoff, which is like you know I don't know three or four hundred feet past yeah. threshold. I it's, love it's, being able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Know, it's just really cool. But uh, I, I just got word here earlier today that that facility might close. Yeah. Uh, well, they they were part of the right. You're, that's one of the airports that's it's one within, of the DC three airports. Yeah. And, and I hesitate to say too much more about it because I, I know the operator 
Um, I know the airport, and mm-hmm. as I say, I haven't had a chance to clarify or, or confirm any of this. Uh, there's just a kind of a, an email rumor going around, um, and I want to uh, I want to learn a little bit more about it before I uh, yeah. Before yeah. I spend it. Speaking, well, speaking of airports closing, Jack Biddeford. Well, yeah, but let me going to survive. I know. Let's come back. Let me come back to that in one second. I just want to finish the thought here. I want to make two more comments here. First of all, um, as far as the uh, one way runway, uh, there's uh, I love the uh, one of the responses in our forums from one of our regular posters and listeners is Champ Guy. Champ Guy sums up his technique for landing on one of these kinds of runways simply by saying, hit hard and hit the brakes. <laughs> well, may I uh, throw something else in? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, go ahead, James, and then we're going to move. I want to shout out to uh, Virgil, who, who calls himself the country pilot. I was up uh, visiting him a couple of months ago up in the Buffalo area. Uh, does flight training out of his uh, country strip there on his farm property, and it's only one way, and there's a big dip in the middle, but because of power lines and other obstructions, you go in and out the same way. He does training. Can everything start you out in a J3 to get your primary, and then up to advanced aerobatics in a PITS S2C, excuse me, S2C. And in meanwhile, you're having to learn in quite difficult condition because sometimes you're taking off with a little bit of tailwind. Uh, it's not that wide. So uh, it definitely makes you a good pilot and keeps you on your toes. And, That's great. And I certainly enjoyed flying That's up great. there. And, and then St. Bart's is probably the most famous of those that you need the special permit to, to fly in and out of, and yeah. that's uh, obviously yeah. in the Caribbean. So anyways, we want to thank uh, listener uh, PHBJB, uh, a.k.a. Flying Dutchman, for uh, posting this information. Um, and I would urge uh, listeners to not only check out this one particular blog post, but his blog in general. I've, uh, is a lot of really fascinating story, flying stories. Um, he, he gets a chance to fly in a lot of different parts of the U.S. and around the world, mm. and uh, some interesting stories he tells. Um, the main address for his uh, blog is flying places that's one word flying places.blogspot.com and uh, urge everybody to take a look at that yeah david good news uh as uh, i mentioned i don't know if it was last week or the week before um uh, that uh, the airport up in bitterford maine was under attack uh and there was a referendum uh to try and close the airport uh that was on the ballot earlier this week and uh and uh, god bless them the uh, the people of bitterford maine overwhelmed voted to keep the airport open. Uh, reading here from, a little quick quote from the Portland Press Herald says, uh, residents defeated the airport measure by a vote of 8,000 to 1,700. All right. Uh, airport opponents had claimed that it cost the city money, while advocates cited a 2006 state study, study that found that the airport brought in $3.6 million a year in economic activity. City officials said that the airport is essentially a break-even operation when looked at over several years, so uh, so you know, good job. Yeah, that's to almost a five to one margin. Yeah, it's uh, so you know. Here's hoping that Biddeford doesn't have to go through this for at least five to one years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, congratulations to them. Uh, and uh, I actually had a chance. I was up in that area. I drove by Biddeford Airport uh, uh, last weekend, and uh, a very quiet little airport, but there was a bunch of airpo- airplanes on the ramp and uh, a bunch of hangars. It's a little one-runway one uh, airport uh, near the, the coast uh, between uh, Kennebunk and Portland, Maine. And uh, uh, one of these days I'm going to fly over there and land over there, but uh, I wanted to stop by. And, and eyeball the place, and uh, it's just a cool little airport, and I'm glad that they uh, they persevered. Here, here. And and good Congrats job. To for, Congrats to the smart people in the community. Yeah. That recognized a good thing. That's right. That's right. Hey, David, what's the story with uh, aerobatic stuff here? Uh, I, 
This is the uh, aerobatic oh, discovery stuff. flights, and uh, what's this story all about? Oh, this outfit that uh, keeps me wired into the special training opportunities they have called Wings Aviation Services. Uh, they sent me a press release today uh, talking about a uh, discovery flight, they call it, in an extra 300L. Now, this is an outfit up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, they've got a very broad-based flight school, uh, you know, primary through instrument, commercial, and so forth. But they also have instruction in basic and advanced aerobatics, with the basic being in a Cetabria and the advanced being in an extra 300L. Uh, and the Discovery flight, the thing that jumped out at me was the Discovery flight in the 300L is one of those, we'll ring it out until you cry uncle kind of experiences. <laughs> well, that would be about 10 minutes for most people. Yeah, yeah well, see, this is my, so here, let me, quick, quick survey, quick survey of the four of us here in the hangar. Who has flown upside down intentionally? Uh, I have. Uh, I have. Je- and Jeb? Yeah, yeah, you have. See, I never have. I, I, I have mixed feelings on the whole subject. Uh, the, the conceptually, the idea of being able to fly that way is very appealing. It's very, you know, much more like flying like a bird and all that well, kind of it, stuff. It, it, but, it was my dumb luck to get a a, a demo ride in a Pilatus PC nine military trainer, which was evolved into the to the uh, Texan two that the uh, Navy and the Air Force both use as primary trainers now, turboprop, tandem, 2Z. And then two days later to get a, a ride with the uh, number eight ship with the Blue Angels. Right. Oh. And uh, I had only limited concept of two parts of aviation up to that, uh, up to that week. One is G's, and the other is afterburner acceleration mm-hmm. and both airplanes were capable of delivering the g's only one was capable of the you're a tennis ball you just got hit by a racket <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know i um um uh well, I- when I was taking my primary lessons, they kept telling me, don't overbank, don't do, don't over, you know. And so, of course, I wondered, well, what would happen if I did? You know, what would happen if you got yourself in a situation? So early on, I decided that I would go for aerobatic training, not because I have any love of aerobatics. To tell you the truth, it still scares the crap out of me when I get in there, and it's like, okay, pull a hammerhead, point the thing straight up till it starts falling out of the sky. <laughs> That's, but, you know, I felt I owed it to myself to know what would happen and to kind of have some sense of what the airplane would do and how one should respond. So, And it wasn't that easy to find uh, aerobatic training either up uh, in my neck of the woods. Now, fortunately, the at the time, uh, the French Connection had a school up in Poughkeepsie, so I went driving up there with a friend a couple of times and took lessons with, uh, with the French Connection. And, uh, and one of the times oh. flying upside down was, you know, with... Uh, with Danielle there in the plane with me, and I, she was pretty stern taskmaster, and you know, and push, 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 you know, <laughs> fly, upside down there because the captain, you know, you can just hang there upside down, and it is, you, it you, is mighty disorienting to suddenly, whoop, and you're upside down, and you're, you know, you're feeling the pressure on your shoulders from the straps, and you know, there's, you look, there's, there's you only look two up parts of human experience where you hear that phrase, push, 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 <laughs> right, aerobatic flying, inverted. 
started in, in giving childhood. birth. Giving birth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Aerobatic training has a lot to commend it for persons who never have any interest in owning or competing in an aerobatic airplane. Mm-hmm. And that's in the area of knowing something about recovering exactly. from an upset. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, I agree. That that would be very, very, I mean, that, that would be terrific. One of these days I'll probably get up there, you know, do whatever it takes to get my head to the right place and do this. Steve Tupper, of course, recently has, has gone through this training and uh, just raves about it. He just, this, this the well, best thing he's done. Uh, he, my, well, my primary flight stru- instructor was really, really good to me. Uh, we went out at night with a hood. And then he would take the airplane and have me put my head between my knees mm-hmm. and then upset the airplane beyond the point of the FAA's definition of aerobatics. Oh, okay. You know, and then turn the airplane over to me. And I had to recover the airplane without lifting the hood. And I had five seconds to get it going in the right direction and ten seconds to make the right recovery. Otherwise, we did it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember that, but we didn't go as far as aerobatic, uh, uh, you know, attitudes. Oh, he would get but... it past. He would get it well past forty-five degrees bank and thirty degrees pitch down, and then say, it, it, and, and he wouldn't say your airplane and wait for you to take it. He would let go, and uh-huh. then say your airplane. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's good training. One of these days, I'm going to fly. Training. I'm going to go fly the Cetabria sometime soon. So maybe we'll just kind of transition from that straight into some sort of aerobatic training or some sort of unusual attitude training or something like that. Uh, it, it, you're right. I know it'd make me better. It just makes me a little nervous, but uh, it's it, well, it, it would be you, good. It, it it helped me along when I decided to go for my instrument, uh, and I realized that to get it done in the time frame that I had. That, that I wanted to accomplish, that I was going to wind up taking the majority of it at night or I wasn't going to find an instructor to work with me. Mm-hmm. And having been through that with Don Hicks on my primary, where he did so much to screw me up at night when you don't have so many frames of reference. Uh, yeah. And then he screws with my inner ear. and uh, So the instrument training at night was really helpful, too. So... Yeah, upset training, aerobatic training, there's a lot there that will help keep you alive if you Mm -hmm. need it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, one last bit of news here before we wrap this thing up. Um, There's uh, a couple of bits of Eclipse news, uh, uh, and uh, let's see now, I think... James, you posted one of these. Um, that the this is the E four hundred, which is the so called concept jet. Is that, that what I'm thinking of here? That's yep. correct. Uh, you know, I mean, we we talked last week about a couple of reports that came out that suggested that Eclipse may not survive much longer. Right. But uh, uh, now we're do we still think that they might kind of try and move forward with this uh, concept jet, the well, Eclipse four hundred? Is that they have been saying since uh, Piper took over? Uh, in the midst of air venture in uh, late July, that they would have an you know they would make a definitive decision on uh, in November about that. And I you know I in fact at air venture I wrote that and I guess it created yeah. sort of a stir because then there people are saying we don't know if we're going to proceed some way. And I said, well, I people I'm the one who said that because that's what you said at the press conference yesterday. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, they continue they to run said, ads for the thing. Uh, well, they've well, said they, they so were promoting their, it at NBAA. And their stance after that was, yes, we are proceeding, and it's going to be a formality 
the announcement in November. Now, after seeing this, I and I, I'm in the midst of doing some writing about personal jets. So I sent, uh, you know, I so I asked when in November I, I talked to or I sent an email to Alana McCarher, who's their head of uh, media, a couple of weeks ago. I said when in November, and she said, uh, as far as she knows, it would be the board meeting, which is near the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So. I've got to think if these other stories are true, there's some credence to this, and obviously the Teal Group uh, is a pretty respected uh, organization. Uh, you pay As attention to them. I have a, have a feeling that, yeah, that, you know, they, I mean, if they're not going to go ahead with the 500, I don't see how they can keep the 400 program going. Right. Maybe okay. they'll That's sell it off. True. But uh, I would assume, you know, I don't know what to assume except that, Supposedly, in late November, we'll hear something, that their formal announcement. I wouldn't be surprised for them to say, we're just going to stop and hold off because always our focus has been on the 500. There are some questions there until we get that right. Yeah. We cannot well, commit resources to the 400. Here's my expectation, and this is just based on trends that I'm seeing in the market and conditions that are rippling through the, the, the business jet market. And very light or otherwise, we're still talking about a, a business jet by and large. Uh, that when the board meeting comes and goes in November, it'll be really surprising to me if the c- company is still operating yeah. as a manufacturing entity hmm. at that point. You think? Unless, unless one of the uh, one of the items on the agenda for that meeting of the board of directors. Is how to you know how to start spending the latest infusion of investment money that they've gotten two hundred million to three hundred million they say they need. Uh, if that comes through and that's a line item on the uh, on on the uh, agenda for that board meeting, then uh, I expect somebody to grown up there to say we'll deal with the four hundred after we sort out the 500. Right, right. Now, it'd be a mistake to read too much into this, but one little tidbit here is to take note that Eclipse canceled their AOPA Expo exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, have we confirmed this? This is the case that they canceled? Uh, they canceled. Yeah, now, and, Expo and, and is... Their presence, their presence at NBAA was minimalist. They had stuff in the space. That it's they a large did. space, but pretty unoccupied. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, 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 pretty slim on people. Nothing really big happening at the static, uh, and you know, it came down to they weren't going to get their money back for the space at the point where I think they wanted to to cancel. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they, you know, and they already had materials on site there. Yeah. So what is the point of them spending money if their future is in somewhat in doubt? What is the people who whoever needs to know about the eclipse knows about it? They're not going to make any more sales out there. Sewing the flag isn't going to do any good. They don't need to impress the market that they're still well, there. The so, conventional wisdom, James, has always been that when you drop off the map at these necessary trade shows, mm-hmm. exactly. that that means that you're over. But people know where they are already. So you're conspicuous by your absence. And, you and, know, I uh, think that that the mature thing to do, no matter what their future is, I, I, you know, unless they suddenly got so much money and had to announce, hey, we're really back, you know, forget this financial crisis. We found the money, so we're here to say we're bigger than ever. And, you know, those rumors mar- mar- aren't marketing. True. Marketing is what keeps your current backlog customers. 
what starting keeps current backlog customers sale. apparently is that they're not giving back refunds and you know <laughs> there's a point at which people start to say I can write that off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, apparently we're going to get some some real information in a couple more weeks when this board meeting happens. So it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. Uh, I'm really rooting for them, but I'd be lying if I said my expectations are very high. Oh, wow. I'm rooting for them. By we're all rooting, rooting for them, but it's they've got themselves in a jam, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, I have to. Did anybody see? Was it the Teal Group that said about their business plan? Yeah, oh, we, yeah. We, we were reading, we were quoting from that last week. Some that really was juicy unbelievable. quotes. Unbelievable! That yeah. is a, an unbelievable statement. Yeah, yeah. Some, un, some really, they really were very frank about this. Hey, listen, we got to get this thing, put a fork in this thing. Anybody got some shoutouts? Yeah. Yes, I do. Okay, Jeb, go first. Go ahead, James. No, James, go ahead. Okay, James, oh, go first. I just first. wanted to thank all the folks down in Tullahoma where I went down for the uh, the beach Snake. party again. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much for all the hospitality. A wonderful people, and I just have to. Tell anybody who hasn't been down there to the Beechcraft Heritage Museum, uh, a fantastic world-class facility, wonderful people, highly recommended. You let him go first, Jeb. It's your own fault. <laughs> what were you going to say, Jeb? Um, good buddy of mine, um, Jerry Watley, one of the old hangar rats from, uh, from the Manassas Airport years ago. He relocated out to New Mexico, um, done a lot of flying with him, um, got his instrument rating. Um, Way this, to go, dude! Yeah, uh, just just sent, sent me an email this week uh, offering to buy the first ran, and I, I told him that was okay. Jack was buying the first ran <laughs> for a selected group of people. <laughs> <laughs> but but sincerely, in all sincerity, uh, well done, Jerry. I yeah, congratulations! Great. Congratulations! Uh, uh, Muzzle tough and all that, and. Uh, um, I look forward to seeing you again real soon. Yeah, I wanted to say real quickly that we uh, we talked last week uh, about the, uh, the the Zeppelin uh, airship that's being giving rides in the San Francisco Bay Area. I heard from Will Hawkins uh, the other day, and he said he did in fact, or will in fact, be getting a ride on that. And oh, cool. uh, looking forward to hear his report and his pictures and probably his video from that. So uh, so cool. you should stay in touch with uh, Will Hawkins uh, pilot flight blog flight pod log uh, podcast uh, and also his blog for uh, some of his postings about this. He's also at uh, AOPA Expo right, right now, which started today and is will be over by the time people listen to this podcast, but uh, he's already fo- posting photographs from there, and uh, it's in San Jose, which is right around the corner from his uh, his home. And, uh, his neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, David, anything? I just want to give a quick shout out to the good folks, uh, uh, uncontrolled airspace listeners, that have been spending a lot of time posting stuff on the uh, forum site, uh, talking about, among other things, the security proposal uh, from the, the uh, folks that are at the TSA, and we won't fill in what we think that means right now. Thousands. St- I just want to encourage the discussion to continue, and when folks clue into the discussion, do go to the website, read the proposal, and add your voice. Yeah. Add your voice. Because as we found out a couple of days ago in the election, more voices matter. And this is an area where we need more voices. The more voices, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. Anyways, time to stick a fork in. Here, here. 
time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, thanks to uh, James Winbrandt for joining us today. James is an Thank author you. and aviation journalist, and uh, you can just Google his name uh, or search for him on Amazon, and you can learn about all of his books and writing. Uh, thank you, James. Thank you. Great to be with you in the hangar, guys. Yeah. Thanks so much. And Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And uh, you can learn more about Jeb at his at uh, jebburnside.com or aviationsafetymagazine.com or avweb.com. You had an interesting post uh, just the last couple of days, Jeb, uh, in the blog there. Um, yeah. You, you summarized yeah, some of your thoughts on the, uh, the, L, the, the TSA uh, proposal. That's... Uh um, a follow-up to an editorial I wrote last month uh, in safety. It's um, December's editorial in safety, but we decided to also make it a blog post. Yes. So let's see. What's the blo- what's the address it's, of the blog? I forget now. It's, is it just? Um, shoot. Um, Hang on. I've got it here someplace go too. Go to AvWeb and scroll down. It's, it's the home page. I've got it. It's uh, it's avweb.com slash blogs slash insider. And uh, as of as of right now, the uh, first uh, posting on there is Jeb's post about TSA's dangerous new proposal. He writes. Mm. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer. He's also a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. You can learn more about Dave and his work at, at kitplanes.com, avbuyer.com, slash worldaircraftsales, and also uh, in the UCAP blog, where Dave continues to write some fascinating stories about uh, his uh, flying experiences. So uh, thank you, David. Hey, they keep encouraging me. I'm going to keep... You know, doing it until the screaming stops. Oh, that's what we have to do to get you to stop. That's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me and my work at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. We also want to thank uh, uh, Jeff Scoffrey-Jet for uh, creating our show notes. We also want to Absolutely. thank we want to thank the to the many of our listeners, and particularly to Mike Morgan for putting together the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog. You can view the the forums. You can check out the UCAF wiki. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. Remember, folks, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan, so live longer. Get airtime. So that's enough talking for now. Let's go out and go flying. <laughs> <laughs>